Well, this is Memorial Day weekend. And um, this weekend is about commemorating uh, those that gave their all. And in that I mean those that gave their life in the service to this country from the very beginning, if you would. Uh, I, you know, later on this year, we will have Veterans Day and and we'll have Armed Forces Day and some other days that we will commemorate. But today is, is about Memorial Day. It's about remembering those that gave their life. Um, I, I'm not sure. I didn't. I didn't check out the statistics for uh, Mercer County to learn how many have given their life, uh, their life in the line of service. But I'm sure that number, uh, whatever that number is, is is very significant. Uh, people uh, went away in defense uh, of our freedom or to fight to obtain our freedoms. And they, um, they never got to return home to their families. So today we do take that, the time to remember those that gave all, regardless of what war they fought in, what generation they're from. We appreciate those that have given their all in all that we may be here today. And I know, uh, I, I've had people actually tell me that it, if the, a statement such as I'm about to make, was an offense to them, and, and they were of nations um, in most cases. But uh, you know what? I still think, and I still believe with all of my heart, that in spite of our problems, in spite of our difficulties, that we still live on the very best place, the very best country that we can live on the face of the earth. And it's because God has blessed us, and people were willing to give their all. So with that being said, I want to preach to you a message this morning that I thought very fitting uh, for this weekend of the year. And uh, as we come to this message uh, on this Memorial Day Sunday, I want you to, uh, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. John chapter 15, verse 13. A very familiar verse of scripture to us, um, most of us, we probably can think about this. John 15 and 13 says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. That's, that's very fitting on this Memorial Day. Very fitting for those, uh, maybe our ancestors or people that we have never known or never will know. That laid down their life for the freedoms that we have in this country. And then we go on into the Paul's writings to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, excuse me, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserve nothing more than anybody else is what Paul is saying. 
But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. I want to preach to you this morning the message with this capturing from the verse of Scripture that we first read to you, and that is this simply, no greater love. No greater love. And as we preach with that thought in mind of no greater love, I want you to uh, gather with me this morning just on these four points. Four points. The first point is God's love is unmerited. And I urge you maybe to keep your Bibles open or to even make you some notes because there's some very significant, very important scriptures this morning that I want to reference. As we think about God's love being unmerited, we go back to where I just read to you from out of Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 3. And, and Paul establishes in his writing to the church that we're all children of wrath. Now, most of us think of ourselves as being fairly good people. You know, we're, we're good people. We, we, we're probably good citizens. You may have even won an award or something for, for being a good citizen. But we're all children of wrath. We're all children, if you would, of, of sin, if you would. We're, we're all children, uh, that are, we're undeserving in so many, actually, in every way. If you go on and, if you fl- Flip back a few pages actually and you read in Romans chapter 3 when Paul writes his letter to what was then the, the, uh, the most developed, the most developed society of his time. Uh, it was probably comparable in many ways to the society that we have today. In fact, it may even surpass the Roman uh, Empire may even surpass us. In some ways. But Paul wrote to that, those people that were intelligent, they were learned and they were educated. And in Romans 3 and verses 10 and 12, Paul establishes the fact that there is none righteous. Now this doesn't mean that we're, you're not a good person or that I'm not a good person. You know, we, we in this lifetime that we live in, we put a, a, a lot of emphasis on good. You say, oh, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good fellow. I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good lady. Or, you know, or we'll look at somebody that say, well, you know what? I know they're, they're really good people. But, but when we think about our goodness, our goodness, when we compare it to God's goodness, the Bible describes as filthy rags. Filthy rags. And, and in that case, without going into the detail of, of what that means, it mean, what it means of is, is a, is something that is worth nothing more. Actually, it's very deserving to be burned or destroyed. Our righteousness, our goodness. And you said, man, that makes, that makes me feel so bad about myself. That makes me feel un, ungood about myself. Uh, then what's the point trying? But, but understand what, what the Word is telling us, what God is teaching us through His Word is that, that, that's in comparison to His righteousness. It doesn't mean that none of us are not good. It doesn't mean there's not some value and worth to our goodness. But understand when it comes to the realm of God, our righteousness does not qualify us. We're 
if you would, God's love is unmerited in, and, and we're not deserving of His love. We're not deserving of His grace. We're not deserving of, uh, of His salvation if you, if you would. C.S. Lewis once wrote that He loved us not because we're lovable, but because He is love. We've heard it said so many times that God is love. He is love. That, that is who He is. That is what He is. That is His basis. That is what He consists of. So it's not that we're lovable. Now I know when I met Miss Sarah, uh, when, I, when I met Miss Sarah a number of years ago now, I know when, when she met me, when she saw me for the first time, she thought, He is lovable. I know that. But the reality of it is that, that, that in, in the, in the scheme of righteousness, in the scheme of God, and, and, and you know, I, um, I saw, some of you may saw this in the news, and I don't know a whole lot about it. I probably just saw enough of it to get me in trouble. But, but where the, the, the scientists have, have discovered this, the, you know, this, this new dimension of the black hole, and, and, and there's stuff out there farther than we even thought about before. But in all of that, it's not as vast and it's not as mighty who is, as God is. Because His vastness and His greatness is immeasurable. And it's eternal. And, and we don't merit any of His love, but, but a God that is so vast and so great and so, so eternal, He decided, uh, he, he didn't decide, He is love. He just loves us. Even though we're undeserving of it. Uh, a Swedish pastor named Karl Barth, even though he was a Calvinist, uh, he is considered the most foremost theologian that ever came out of uh, out of the out of Switzerland. And as has Karl Barth said in a question and answer period, and, and he, he was he was a professor, he was an intelligent man, he was a theologian, and and, and even though he was Calvinist, he still there's great. There's great, great, great uh, worth and wealth found in his wisdom. He said in a question and answer period, and, and it was a gathering of pastors and church leaders. And as he sat in that question and answer period, he was asked the question, What, what, Dr. Carl, Dr. Carl, what is the most profound thought that you know? What is the most profound thought that you have ever had? And this man that was well educated, still considered a great theologian, his answer was simply this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now we don't sing that song too much anymore, do we? We used to teach it to our kids. And, and maybe we may, and, and it's still, it's still a good song. It's still worthy. But, but the course of that song goes into, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Listen, if, if for no other reason to believe that Jesus loves you, just believe it because the Word of God says He does. And we're unmerited, we're undeserving of His love, but yet He loves us anyway. And His love is unconditional. 
And sometimes the unconditional love of the Lord, it, sometimes it becomes uh, distorted, not in his not in his realm, but in our realm. But I want you to know this this morning, and, and I, I have to be, I've used this word transparent all day long for some reason, it seems like. I have to be very transparent with you this morning. You know, when, when I was a teenager, when I was exposed to, to, uh, to uh, evangelical Pentecostal religion, I, what little bit of exposure I had to any Christian religion, was, well, you've heard me tell this before, was, was when I was uh, delivered to the Episcopal Church by my dad on Sunday morning. He would pull up in front of the Episcopal Church. Uh, you know, my sister always got to ride the front seat because she was older. Any older siblings can identify with that. Yeah, and she would open the door and roll out, and I would have to climb out of the back seat, and and we would we would we would trot into the Episcopal Church. That was my experience until I was a teenager, and I came into the realm of an of an Assemblies of God church many years ago, and and I began to experience Jesus, and I began to experience church in another dimension that I had that I had never known before, and in all of that. In all of that, I, I, I learned, and I, I learned from the environment, and I became a, uh, if you would, a product of the environment that I was in. And even though it was not necessarily directly taught to me, it was still an implication was there. It was an implied learning that the more I did to to do things to please God, the more He would love me. I thought the more good deeds I could do, the more God would love me. I thought the the better Christian that I could be, the more God would love me. I, I thought the more I would pray, the more God would love me. I thought the more I could sing and the songs and play the music that perhaps the, the more God would love me. But in reality, here's the, here's why I come to realize later in life that there is nothing you or I can do to make God love us any more than He already loves us. There in, in fact, on the other side of that coin, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less than He already loves you. How can you say that, preacher? I can say that because the Word says that no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for somebody else. Listen, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down, He he exhibited the greatest love for us that we could ever experience in our life when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. In fact, if you go back and go back to Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, if you read the 4th and 5th verse there, and I'm not going Calvin, Calvinist on you this morning in spite of what you might think, but it says there that God has predestined us in love into sonship. He, God desires us, He is desired, and He has made a way for us to enter into sonship. And ladies, that does not disallow you. It includes daughtership, if there is such a word. Yet, we, we forget about that sometime, and we forget about that His extreme 
The most extreme amount of love that could ever be displayed was displayed when Jesus Christ... Listen, in spite of what you may think, Jesus was not killed. Jesus was not murdered. Jesus was not assassinated. Jesus gave His life on that cross. He released His life unto His his, uh, accusers, if you would. But He gave His life on the cross in order that we may be saved. He gave His life on the cross because there is no greater love than a man can have than to lay down his life for a friend. And guess what? God considers us friends. His love was displayed through Christ on the cross. But here is the key factor. Sometimes this, I mentioned a minute ago, sometimes this part gets distorted. So, yes, God loved us. He loves us. He still loves us. He not only loved the world, He still loves the world. And He gave Jesus on the cross. But here is, here is where many people miss the mark. This, yes, He loves you. You can't make Him love you anymore. You can't make Him love you any less. But the key to it all is that you receive His love through faith in salvation. Listen, if you never receive His love through faith into sal- unto salvation, then you are completely missing it. It's Listen, if you don't receive Christ's love unto salvation, when you leave this world, or if any of us, including myself, if we leave this world without knowing the love of Christ in the fullness of salvation, then it is as we've never been loved at all. You say, man, that's weird, preacher. That's, that's weird. But Christ has given us the opportunity. He has sent His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts. The Holy Spirit draws us into salvation. In fact, the Word of God says it's impossible for a person to be saved unless the Holy Spirit draw them. So God has given us the opportunity. He loves us unconditionally and He gives us the opportunity to receive that unconditional love in a personal relationship through the man, Jesus Christ. And that's a decision that only you can make. You have to make that decision. Somebody said, if you ever paid any attention to the church of Oprah, some of y'all get what I'm talking about? The church of Oprah. Well, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? I had, I had a person that was a Christian. I can't, I can't dispute them. That, that they're, that they're, whether or not they're saved, that's not for me. They have a testimony of faith. That they said, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, but I do not believe in a literal hell. I believe hell is, this means you don't get to go to heaven. I still believe in hell. I still believe in a place that burns with fire and brimstone. I still believe, I believe in a place just as much as I believe in a heaven that, that, that has streets of transparent gold and, and, and a gates, a gate of made of one solid pearl and walls of jasper and all of the beautiful stones that, that depict the greatness and the glory of God. As much as I believe in all of that about heaven, I still believe in the hell that's hot. I still believe in a hell that burns with fire and brimstone. I 
still believe in a hell that is eternal. Now, I don't, I don't like the thoughts of that, uh, of that place. I don't like the thoughts of hell. But yes, I believe it's there. But I've got news for you. God didn't send anybody to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. If somebody goes to hell, they go to hell against the will of God. And yes, his will is that everyone be saved. But it takes faith on our part in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the love, the no greater love than he had. So nobody, God sends nobody to hell. People makes choices. But God's love is unconditional. He loved us in spite of ourselves. And He loves us with a perfect love that can't be improved upon no matter what you and I do. He just wants us to receive His love and faith. Thirdly, God's love is eternal. You know, I think most of us struggle with this. I think most of us struggle with this because, and and I know because statistics tell us, you know, in America today, probably more than 50% of the people in this room have been divorced or remarried. There's that, that potential is there. Everyone in this room has probably had some kind of severed relationship with, with another person at some time in your life. And I'm not criticizing anybody that's been divorced or remarried. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not criticizing people that, that have had differences and, and, and relationships has been broken. But, but, but understand this with me. I think we struggle with, with, with grasping the eternal love of God because the love that we have, the love that we know is a, it's, it's temporary. It's, it's, or it's circumstantial. You know, I, I, I know, I know, I know the reason that, that Sarah just became infatuated with me and loved me so much. You know, I, I know why, I know why she was overwhelmed with me. It's cause, cause I loved her. Yeah. Plus, not to be the circumstances that, you know, I was good looking and had a nice car, you know, and all, all kinds of things going for me, you know. But, but, but our love is often, is so often connected with circumstances and, 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 uh, and elements that are around us. And sometimes we can develop emotions or we can develop feelings and in reality it's not love at all. And that, it's not to say that there's not true love. It's not to say that Real love doesn't exist. But I'm saying there's sometimes that, that it's an emotional circumstance for us. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a circumstance where we, be, we, we just become attached through our emotion, through our psyche, if you would. But God's love is everlasting. You know, there's been, there's been people that, that, that not in a romantic sense, but there's been people that I've known, there's been friends I've had through my lifetime, and I, I thought, man, I, I really, I really love this person, this person is such a great friend, this person, I, I, I love them so much, they're a comrade, they're a friend, they're a, they're a pal, they're a buddy, you know, what, whatever the case may be. But, but here's the deal, but something comes up, something happens, there's a disagreement, there, 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 there there's changes in our lives and all of a sudden that person that I thought that I really loved and it doesn't mean that I didn't love them but I no longer have that relationship with them. I no longer have that camaraderie with them. I no longer have that 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 close knit that 
close ties with them. You see, our love for one another can change because simply because circumstances change. But do you understand that God's love doesn't change with circumstances? God's love doesn't change because, you know, uh, you know, your hair fell out. I say back when Sue married AK, he probably had some hair. He says no. Yeah. A little bit, but not much. That, that, that just goes to prove bald men have more fun. Yeah. But circumstances change. Some of us, if you look back at pictures from a few years ago, some of us do not have the same physique that we used to have. My wife's up here saying, Amen. I'm sure she's speaking that in the positive sense. God's love doesn't change when circumstances change. Our, sometimes our our emotions, our love, it changes. But when we read Jeremiah chapter 31, when we read the words of the prophet, it says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn thee. God's love never changes. God's love never fails. God's love is not withdrawn just because you are acting worse today than you act yesterday. God loves us in spite of ourselves. And fourthly, God's love is indisputable. I pretty much already covered this. But since it's in my outline here that I prepared, I'm going to go ahead and finish. But in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, we find that Paul wrote, But God commends His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you know what? I've had people really be kind to me after I have really been kind to them. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe none of you all ever experienced that. I, I, you know, my my dad told me. I remember when I was a kid. You know, I'm, I hey, listen, those of you that's younger in this room, my daddy didn't give me no car to drive when I was growing up. Now he let me drive old number seven. Old number seven. I love to have old number seven back right now. Old number seven was a '62 Chevrolet Bel Air two door. Six-cylinder, 235 six-cylinder, three on the tree. Some of you younger people don't even have a clue what that means. Reverse is all back and ups, reverse, back and all the way down is first, up halfway through neutral and up is second, then all the way down is third. You, If you did really good, when you hit a real long hill, if you got your speed up, you kicked the clutch in, threw it up in neutral and let it coast for a while. Saved you a lot on gas. And gas wasn't but 50 cent a gallon back then. Mm, or less. Number seven was black, but somebody had repainted the trunk lid on it sometime, and all the paint was peeling off the trunk lid on old number seven. 
Number seven, for whatever reason, Daddy put mud grips on the back of old number seven, and uh, and he never put the hubcaps back on. So here I would go to school, driving old number seven with the paint peeling off of it, six-cylinder motor, three on the tree, and big old mud grip tires. Look, full traction, by the way. Full traction mud grip tires. Some of y'all don't even have a clue what that means nowadays. And I drove that to high school, and I was proud as can be. Until I decided I wasn't going to play sports anymore in high school. I was going to get me a job because I was going to buy me a car. And I bought it. 1972. It wasn't new, by the way. I'm not that old. 1972 Rally Sport Nova. Where's all my Chevrolet fans? 1972 Rally Sport Nova, 10th anniversary edition Nova. Only one day, only year they made a rally in a Nova. And I bought me one. It was the ugliest lime green with a big old black stripe down the side of it. I love to have it back now. I know where it's sitting at, but I couldn't touch it because I don't have $40,000 to buy it back. But you know what? When I bought that car going back to, you said, you done, you done forgot about your point. No, hey, I'm coming back to it. When I bought that car, $1,200. That's a lot of money. $1,200. Daddy, my daddy, daddy didn't say a whole lot. Daddy said, hey boy, he said, I'm going to tell you one thing now. He said, you done went and bought that car. He said, you tear it up, you don't fix it. He said, I don't tell you something else now, boy. He said, you don't have more buddies now than you ever thought you would have before. He said, you don't have more buddies that's going to want to hop, hop in that car and they're going to want to ride with you and they don't want to go place with you. He said, and I tell you what else they're going to do. He said, they're going to try to get you to spin the tires. Miss Connie, my daddy, was exactly right. I can remember... Used to go to Whitfield, you used to circle Pizza Hut, go all the way down to the other end of Main Street, and there was a place called Ray's King Burger. And you circle Ray's King Burger, and you come out, and you go down Main Street and do the same thing every Friday and Saturday night. I'd love to have some more Friday and Saturday nights like that. People don't do that stuff. I don't know where young people go now. I guess they go to the Walmart parking lot. So I'm hanging out with my buddy and we're riding Pizza Hut to raise, Pizza Hut to raise. I come out of Ray's King Burger one night and I thought, I'm going to get on it a little bit. And I light the tires up. I had smoke coming off both tires and out both exhaust pipes. I was, I was burning them up. But you know what? I found out my buddies was like riding in the car when it was running pretty good. But when I tore it up, they weren't my buddies anymore. <laughs> Until I got the car fixed anyway. But, but I said all that and I told that, I told that, that story, which is true by the way, but I told that to tell you this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was, God's not a fair weather friend. He's a, but, but we don't need to use Him as one. 
We don't need to use Him as when, when things are bad. When things are bad, then we're going to run to God. When things are good, then we're not, we don't need you, God. God is not a fair weather friend. His, His love is indisputable. You can't argue with it. And when you read that verse that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, it said, but God commends His love to us. Commend comes from a word in the Greek that means to show, to prove, or to exhibit, to demonstrate without argument. There is no dispute. There is no dispute about God's love for us. It's indisputable. It can't be argued against. Nobody, you say, how how can you say that? What guarantee do you have? The guarantee that I have is while he was yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself. You notice it didn't say he was murdered for us. It doesn't say he was assassinated for us. It says while we were yet sinners, he died for us. No greater love has any man than to give his life for his friends. So God proves his love by not giving us what we deserve. Because we deserve wrath. We deserve that place, hell, that I talked about a few minutes ago. That's, that's what we deserve because, because we were born into sin. We were born into wrath. But He doesn't give us what we deserve. The psalmist said this, David said this in the 103rd Psalm, and David knew he was guilty of sin. But he said, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. If we got what we deserved, man, none of us would stand a chance whatsoever. But because one man loved us enough to lay down his life, on this Memorial Weekend, I, again, I appreciate the men and women that have given their, li- given their lives throughout the generations that we may be here this morning. But let me tell you, there has never been one as great as the Lord Jesus Christ that gave His life for us, displayed such a love for us that we can't even really imagine. John Peterson summed up the love of God in the words of a song. The title of the song is an old hymnal song written back in uh, 1955. The title of the song is There Is No Greater Love. Here's some of the lyrics that John Peterson penned in that song. There is no greater love than that of Christ above that made Him stoop to earth, become a man, and by His death provide redemption's plan. There is no greater love, and that's why I'm singing of God's love. So rich and free, revealed at Calvary, there is no greater love. There is no greater love than the love of God. There is no love that is that can be unmerited, yet be unconditional. It can be eternal and can be indisputable except the love of God. You see, it's the love that that was in the mind 
of the Lord when the words were penned. No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for another. The love of God. The love of God. How wonderful it is. And I'll go back and I'll reiterate one more time. And the only thing that's required of us in this love is that we accept it and receive it in faith. In faith. So how do I do that, preacher? Well, you know, the Hebrew writer said that faith is the substance of things hoped for that's evidence of things not yet seen. I can't show you faith. I can't touch you faith. I, I can't let you feel faith. I can't. I can't. I can't take you somewhere on a on a trip and and to a place where faith is manufactured. I can't do anything. Faith is something that's instilled in your heart. The Word of God says to every man is given a measure of faith. You say, "Well, I, I really don't have any faith." Sure, you do. Don't don't. You're, you're telling yourself a fib if you believe you don't have any faith. You do. What the Bible says that you do. So this love has to be received through faith. It must be received through faith. And when received through faith, then that love, that love has found complete place in our life. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what love He has for us. Would you bow your heads for me just a minute? With heads bowed and and I'd ask that you close your eyes for just a moment. I just want to ask you a question on this Memorial Day, Sunday morning. If you're in this room and, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or perhaps you're watching by live stream this morning on Facebook. Maybe you're watching it later. But you're seeing this broadcast and you've never been saved. Let me tell you, God's got so much love for you. You can't make Him love you any more than He already does. But what He does desire of you is that you believe Him in faith. And that you receive that love into your heart. So this morning, if you're in this room and you're unsaved, or you're in this room and maybe you've drifted away from the Lord and you need to get back to Him, would you just slip up your hand without any embarrassment, I promise. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody in this room? Pastor, I need...